0: Really excited to be here this morning. I am, um, I'm doing something that I've never done before here at Reality, and I am teaching from the Old Testament, which is, um, yeah, someone loves it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I am a big fan of the Old Testament. Um, It's, I don't know why. I think maybe I I grew up in a family, a Christian family. My mom used to read me these Bible stories when I was younger. And I just have such fond memories of that. And I love story. I love reading stories and kind of seeing how stories unfold and seeing how God works through stories that really cross generations. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to open us in prayer and then we will dig in. Father, I just thank you that, You are so present here today in the fullness of who you are, God, that you don't give pieces in moments, but you show up completely present and engaged and ready to move, ready to take action, ready to speak to us. And Lord, even this morning, as I feel like parts of me are not present physically and I'm feeling a little um, depleted I thank you that it has no effect on you and what you're here to do this morning. And so Jesus, we just step into the fullness of your promise that you are faithful to show up and to do a work in our lives when we come to meet with you. And that's what we ask you for today, God, that we would meet with you and that you would change us, God, that we would leave this morning changed by your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. So we just started the new year, and um, if you're like me, you kind of like to go in the new year and kind of get a sense of, like, what's God doing? What's God doing in my life? What's God doing in my family, in my community, in our city, in our nation? What are you up to? And as I was praying about this year, the word I felt God gave me was breakthrough and abundance. This idea that God is moving things forward, that he is opening things up, that he is changing things, that things are shifting. There's something fresh and there's something new that God has for us this year. And all of us want a breakthrough word, right? If I got up here this morning and said, guys, I have a word for you for the year, and it's suffering. Right Nobody wants the suffering word. like we all want the breakthrough, like, yeah, I can get on board with that. We're ready for some breakthrough, right? We are ready for some change. We're ready for something to shift. We all want to grab onto that. But here's the thing about breakthrough. Breakthrough walks hand in hand with faith. We don't get the breakthrough if we don't step into the faith. If we're not willing to risk, if we're not willing to step into what God invites us into, then we won't see the breakthrough. If we want to see the fullness of God's promise in our lives, for our city, for our children, for our nation, we have to step into what God's calling us into. And that ability to to trust God, that ability to have faith, to step into the unknown, to risk, to step into the unseen, is based on our ability to look and see that God has been faithful. That God has been faithful in our lives, that He's been faithful to our church. And that he will be faithful in the future. This morning we're going to read from the book of Joshua. And really Israel is on the edge of breakthrough. They are on the edge of entering into the promised land. And yet they are facing some of the same challenge that I think we are today. That we are in our own lives and as a community. That we can be on the edge of breakthrough and then What do we do? Do we just sit back and wait for God to just do everything? Or is there an invitation for us to step into that risk, into the unseen, into faith? And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Joshua 3. And we're going to start at verse 5. And we're actually going to read... Uh, three chunks of scripture today we're going to kind of break it up a little bit just so we can kind of track with the story but we'll start with Joshua 3 verse 5. Joshua told the people consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people so they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, when you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. And as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their, feet, and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, where the while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho." We're jumping into a story today that began generations before. You may remember Abraham. <clears throat> Excuse me. You may remember God's covenant with Abraham. Then he said to Abraham, leave your country, leave your land, and come with me. Let's go somewhere else. And Abraham traveled over 1,000 miles, and he ended up in Canaan, the promised land. But he didn't possess it. He lived there in tents with his family, believing the promise of God. God said, this will be your land. But at that time, he didn't possess it. And generations go past, and we have Isaac and Jacob <clears throat> excuse me. And then of course, Joseph, who was in Egypt, and then we end up with Abraham's descendants in Egypt enslaved. And they're enslaved by Egypt for 400 years. But God has not forgotten his covenant with Abraham. Exodus 6 says, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan while they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. See, when we, when we look at the scripture that we're looking at today, we need to consider this word remember. When God says, I have remembered, I have heard my people and I have remembered. When we think of remembering, we think of like, gosh, where did I put my car keys I don't remember? Or I can't quite remember how long I've been married or things like that. <laughs> but in the Hebrew, the word remember, the word that is used here, has a lot more to it than that. There's, when we think of remembering, we think of just recalling, period. Like, I'm thinking of something, I recall it, and that's it. But in the Hebrew, it's so much more than that. The root word of this word, remember, is zakar. And when you look at it biblically, we learn something important about remembering. The biblical term for remember implies both thought and action. So it's not just recalling, it's thought and action. So when God says, I have seen the cries of my people, and I remember my covenant, what he's saying is, I haven't forgotten... I am recalling what I have promised, and I am actively at work. You see, it's thought and it's action. It's recalling and it's doing something with the recollection. That is what God is saying here. And we see when he's saying in Exodus, he's recalling these names. He's saying, "I, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. You see, God takes the responsibility upon himself to remind every generation isn't that incredible that we worship a God that doesn't just say, hey, here's a promise, hope you can remember it, bring it up again if, you know, years later if you can recall it. But no, God says, I make a promise and I hold myself to that promise and I will remind you. And if you look at the stories of each of these men that he lists, he showed up in their lives and he says, I have a covenant with you. I gave it first to Abraham and now it's with you and it will be with your children and it will be with the generations. He takes responsibility to remind them. This is our God, the God who remembers. Do we ever feel like God has forgotten the things that he's promised us? Maybe there's things that we've been waiting for. But God says, I have remembered my covenant. I have remembered my promise. When God says, I remember you, he says, I'm actively at work on your behalf. We can be confident that God is faithful to his covenant. In Exodus 6, we see that God's remembrance is attached to the cries of his people. You see, God is actively attached to the cries of injustice. He defends the weak. He stands up for the vulnerable. He says, I see that. And I recall my promises to intervene, and therefore I am intervening. I am at work. And that's what we see him do with Israel. Of course, he brings them out of slavery. He performs a miracle with the Red Sea parts, and the people walk through, and then the people end up in the wilderness. But they end up there a lot longer than they should have, because they didn't believe him because they chose unbelief and disobedience and they wandered around, they forgot what God had done for them, they forgot what God had promised them. But God didn't forget. You see, no amount of sin and unbelief and disobedience disqualifies us from the promises of God. He says, you know what, I'm still working on your behalf. I'm still pulling you back to the things that I have promised for you. God is actively at work. He doesn't say, you know what, you sinned, so I'm done with you, and I'm moving on to the next person. He's actively at work bringing us back to his promises. Even when we forget, God has still remembered. So here we are, they're facing the Jordan, Joshua is leading people, they are leading the people, God, um, leading God's people, they are pursuing this covenant, they're pursuing the promised land, and they're faced with this river. The only thing lying between them and the promised land is the Jordan, the land of milk and honey, everything God's promised is on the other side, and it says the Jordan is overflowing. It's about a mile wide, they estimate, and the water is rushing. You see, the land is part of God's promise to them. But there's also a command to grab hold of the promise. This is God's promise. Hey, this is, this is the land I have for you, and I've been promising it to you for generations. But you have to grab a hold of that promise and walk into it. And then he caused them to step into the river. He said, I want the priest to step into the river while it's still flowing while it's still rushing. Now, we know the end of the story, so we often just rush past this and say, oh, that's cool, yeah, the water stopped and they walked through. But let's just pause for a second. You see, faith sounds wonderful until we have something to lose. Faith sounds like a breeze as we're reading through scripture. Oh yeah, of course they stepped into the river. Of course God showed up and came through. But then when we have something to lose, when we have something to risk, then suddenly faith seems terrifying. You see, they're being asked to step into the water while it's still rushing and believing that the water's going to stop. What is it that God is asking us to step into this year? How are we supposed to grab hold of the promise this year? Maybe we're supposed to give generously even though we don't have money in our bank account. Maybe we're supposed to be at peace and just embrace God in a season where we're, he- we're facing a health crisis. Maybe we're facing the loss of a job or housing or something and God's saying, you can trust me. And it's like, hang on, this faith thing is actually kind of terrifying. See, some of us have avoided that kind of faith our whole lives. We've chosen what's comfortable and what's safe. But comfort and safe won't get you to the promised land. It won't get you the breakthrough. It won't part and separate and hold back the waters of the Jordan. Only faith does that. That's why God is calling us to be a people of faith. You see, sometimes we have to act as if something is real before we see it in reality. We have to ask what faith does. It's being sure and certain. We behave in such a way, we act in, some, in such a way as if it's happening right now, as if it's real right now, though we don't see it in reality. The priest had to step into the water and say, we believe that that is going to hold back, even though it's currently not holding back. You see, that is faith. That's what it looks like to say, I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet. I can't hold it yet but I'm gonna live in such a way as if it is right now in this moment. Where is your river this morning? Where is God asking you to risk, to be vulnerable, to put yourself out there? Is it relationships, finances, work, housing, health, the pursuit of your dreams? Where is your river? believe that God is calling us to behave in such a way as if it's already yours to activate our faith this morning to say yes to the risk yes to the unseen yes to the unknown because we know the God that will lead us forward if you have your Bibles open again we're going to flip back to Joshua 3 pick it up again at verse 17 The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua Choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing. And carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe. And said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. Now the priests who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests came to the other side while the people watched. Let's just consider this scene for a moment. Israel had just crossed the Jordan and they had landed on enemy soil. This was Canaan. This was the land that they knew was filled with giants, enemies, people that did not want them there. In fact, in the scripture that we read at the very beginning, it said that Jericho was right in front of them, this big city, right? They'd step foot in the enemy camp. Now, I don't know about you, but I would be kind of freaking out, like, that we've just come through this river, and that's a crazy miracle, but right now, we are in the land of the giants. We are in the land of the enemy. But, you know, God doesn't say, okay, set a perimeter, sharpen your knives, get ready for battle. He is up to something else. God is calling them to remember Now, this would be for us like walking into the middle of somewhere in Iraq where ISIS control, and we're in the middle, we just, we get there, and then we say, hold up, everyone, just hold up, I just need to get a few stones. I just need to grab a few things here and just remember how we got here. Just pause. Just wait for a second. Let's let's remember. That would be crazy. Everyone would be like, we don't have time to pause. We don't have time to remember how we got here. We're here. Let's do something. Let's respond. Let's check the threat around us. Let's get ready. But that's because we're afraid of the enemy. That's because we live our lives feeling like the enemy is threatening us and pressing in. But God is not afraid to pause in the presence of the enemy. God is not afraid to pause and say, hang on. We have something more important to do right now. We need to remember God is not afraid of the enemy. God is calling us to not be afraid of the enemy. Psalm 23 verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of the enemies. You see, God sees the enemy and he says, time to feast. Time to have a banquet. Time to pull up a chair. Let's just chill out for it. Let's pause. You see, he's not feeling the enemy pressing in on him because he's God. And you know what? We belong to God. So he's inviting the Israelite people to say, let's pause right now. Let's remember. You see, God knew something about Israel. He knew that the battle was not for the land. That was no big deal. The battle was for their hearts. The battle was for their hearts because they needed to know where their strength came from. You see, the Israelite people, they were a chosen people. But they were also a weak people at this point. They'd been enslaved. They had been wandering around in the desert, fed from the sky. They hadn't even picked up a knife to kill an animal, you know? Like, it wasn't like they were feeding themselves in that way. And yet they'd arrived in this land where suddenly there was giants and there was enemies everywhere. But God was saying, but now you're a chosen people. Now you're different. Now you're to behave differently. Your strength comes from me. And that makes you chosen. That makes you heirs instead of slaves anymore. That changes who you are. See, God was saying, I want you to remember that I will not abandon you. I will defend you. I will lead you. Taking this time to pause is important. You see, remembering is an act of slowing down. It's an act of worship. It reminds us to look at what God has done because his past faithfulness predicts his future faithfulness. That we can look back and say, look at what God has done. He brought us out of Egypt, over the Red Sea, through the desert, through the Jordan. We can look at that and say, look how God has been faithful. And now we can look at Jericho and say, you know what? God's gonna be faithful again. I can point here and here and here and here at God's faithfulness so he's going to be faithful again. We don't have to be afraid of the enemy that's literally looming in front of us. We can pause. We can slow down. We can remember. That's why Sabbath is a weapon. That's why slowing down is a weapon. That's why remembering is a weapon. It says my faith does not rest on what I can accomplish but rather on what God has done, who he is, and who that makes me. See, some of us are facing challenges today, and we don't know how to move forward. And what I would say is sometimes to move forward, we have to look back. We have to look back, and we have to remember and say, what did, what did God do last time? How has God shown up for me? There was a season in my life a few years ago, my husband and I, are, we had one child at the time, he was about one, and we were um, living in an apartment that was not rent controlled, and um, they sent us a letter to say, hey, we're going to be raising your rent. I think it was like four or $500 a month. I mean, like that so rarely happens in San Francisco. And it was just like what are we gonna do? Like we, we, there's no way we couldn't afford to pay that. And and honestly, it was way overpriced for the size of the apartment that we were in. And we just didn't really know what to do. And on top of that, as we were praying, we really felt like God called us to move to one specific neighborhood. And it just seemed impossible. It wasn't the cheapest neighborhood. Um, we just we didn't know what we were going to do. And it kind of got down to that wire where it was like we were about a month out. We had to turn in our notice, but we had nowhere to go. And we had a baby. And it literally felt like, are we going to be homeless in a month? Where, where are we going to go? What, what's going what's to happen to us? And I remember in that season of my life feeling so desperate. And I would put my son in the stroller And we were living kind of close to downtown, and I would walk around. I remember walking around the financial district with him in a stroller, and I would say, "Hey, Keelan." And he's one, so it's not like he's really (laughs) responding. But I'd be like, "Hey, Keelan, you know what? I remember this time when mommy and daddy, like, we couldn't afford a honeymoon, and then, like, out of nowhere, like, someone showed up and like gave us a honeymoon, and then gave us plane tickets. And you know, there was this other time when we couldn't do this, and I just began to tell him the stories of God's faithfulness." I just began to say it, and I don't know whether it was for him or for me, but we just walked, and we'd walk every day around the financial district, and I'd be like, you know, there was this one time when God did this one thing, and you know, he hasn't changed, and I did that again and again and again. Now, the end of that story is, of course, God totally provided a ridiculous apartment in exactly the neighborhood he called us to, but the point is that sometimes we just got to retell the faithfulness of God. Sometimes you've got to say, soul, remember what God did last time. Remember who he has proven himself to be. He will not let you down. See, some of us are facing challenges. We're like, I don't know what to do. I feel so stressed out. I don't know how God's going to provide. I don't know what's going to come of this. Then this morning, I would challenge you, replay the stories of God in your life. Look back. Take some time to pull out a journal and begin to write and say, what has God done in my life? How has he shown up? How has he provided? Shove something in your purse. Write it on your mirror. However you need to do it to remember because those are your weapons. Those are your weapons. You see, when the enemy comes and says, God has forgotten, God won't come through this time, we say, "Uh uh-uh, let me tell you what he did last time, and let me tell you what he did before that. You see, that's the God I serve. Well, he won't do it again. Yes, he will, because that is who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can stand on that. Those are our weapons. See, here in the story, God says to Israel, take some of the stones out of the Jordan, and set them up on this new land. You see, sometimes we have to take something from the miracle and pull it into our situation. Sometimes we have to look back at what God has done, and we grab a hold of it, and we say, remember that? It's like a stone, and we pull it out. We pull it into our future, and we we plant it here, and we say, God, you're going to do it again. God, I can count on you showing up again. Drag God's faithfulness into your present circumstances. Grab a hold of all of those stories, pull open your Bible and read those, but also your personal walk with God. Grab a hold of it like the stones and pull them into your present circumstances. You recall that Hebrew root word zakah, which was the root of remember, that whole idea of thought and action. It's the same root for memorial. So when God says set up a memorial, he's saying something very clear to Israel. I want you to remember how I remember. I remember in thought and in action. This is important. He's asking them to remember in the same way he does. I want you to remember in thought and action. I want you to set up the memorials. I want you to set up the stones in such a way that your children will look at them and say, gosh, what's that about? Can you imagine parents in the room if we lived lives where our children looked at us and said, What happened there? And we said, you know what, kids? Let me tell you about the faithfulness of God. That's the kind of parenting that we need, right? That our kids would look at our lives and they would see something that would point to the faithfulness of God. Set up a memorial, retell your children, tell the stories, but it's not enough just to think about it. It's not enough just to recall it. We have to act. You see, it's possible to walk through the Jordan, it's possible to see a miracle. It's possible to experience all of that, but have our hearts unchanged by the one who provided it. It's possible to experience a miracle, but have our hearts unchanged by the one who performed it. You can walk through the miraculous and you can tell the story, but it's not enough. There's more. Look at Israel. They'd seen God do crazy things, right? The sea parted, food fell from the sky, the Jordan River stopped, but God knew it wasn't enough because they had still wandered around in the wilderness. They had still thought about it and remembered, but they still longed for Egypt. They still were unbelieving, they still made false gods. You see, we can't half remember. We have to recall and then we have to act. Our last scripture reading. Joshua 5, starting at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at that place, which is hard to say. (laughs) Now, this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. And then jump down and just read verse 9. Then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now I know that anytime you start reading about circumcision, that the men want to cross their legs, and I appreciate that. I do, I told my husband that I was preaching on this, and he was like, you know, it's not so much the word circumcision, it's the word flint knives. And I'm like, (laughs) I hear you, sweetheart. (laughs) So I get that, and let's just put that aside, okay? (laughs) So circumcision was God's directive to Abraham to set his people apart. Now, I don't know why God chose this method, but what we know is that this act was connected to their identity. It set Israel apart. But the wilderness, in the wilderness, all the boys, they hadn't been circumcised. And so what God's saying to Joshua is, okay, now I want you to circumcise them. Now I want you to be all in. Now I don't want you just to set up a memorial and say, hey, look at the God that we serve, isn't he great? But now I actually want you to say, you know what, we're all our chips in. We are committed. We are your people. We are remembering in thought and in action. You see, you can't just hear a message and say, that was really cool. Look, wow, look at what God did. And then walk away unchanged. That's half remembering. That's not biblical remembering. That's not who we're called to be as a people. We're called to hear something and think, wow, look at the faithfulness of God. And then we're supposed to apply it. Then we're supposed to let it change us. Then we're supposed to walk away and be transformed. And this is what God is saying. He knew if they were going to be his people in the promised land, if they were going to conquer Jericho and all the battles that lay ahead of them, they had to know who they were. They had to be a people that said, We are all in, we are fully committed, we trust you, we surrender. God named this place Gilgal, which comes from a, a similar Hebrew word meaning to roll. And it says in Joshua 5:9, on this day, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. What is this reproach of Egypt? What is God doing here? Well, reproach is another word for shame or humiliation or disgrace. Why was the God of the universe so interested in removing their shame? Why was that so important to him? See, God was leading Israel into breakthrough, into change, into something significant. And you know, it really wasn't the Jordan that was standing in the way, and it wasn't Jericho, and it wasn't the Amorite kings. The obstacle was their shame. Their shame was getting in the way of them believing that they were the people that God was calling them to be. Brene Brown says that shame corrodes the very part of us that believes we're capable of change. You see, God was saying, you're different now. You're not slaves anymore. And you're not wandering around in the wilderness, sinning, and believing." I'm calling you to be a people that follow me. And you have to believe in that capacity to change. You have to believe that you're different. But God knew that that shame was getting in the way. Shame was the real battle. You see, shame breaks us down internally. It silences us. us. It makes us feel inferior. It robs us of our courage. Shame makes us feel defeated. Makes us feel small compared to those around us. Shame makes us want to run and hide. Not exactly the mindset of a royal chosen army ready to conquer the enemy. See, Israel had been enslaved by Egypt for over 400 years. They had the mindset of a slave, not of a chosen royal people. They had been born into slavery. They had been owned and oppressed and abused and exploited. And then they had chosen something different than God. They'd chosen their unbelief. They had chosen to sin against him. They had chosen to question him and his goodness and his faithfulness. They'd worshiped false gods. And the shame of all of this, the humiliation of all of this was so heavy on them. And God knew that they couldn't move into the promised land if they still wore the clothes of enslavement and sin. Guys, we can't move into the breakthrough. We can't move into the the promised land, the things that God has for us, if we're still holding on to, clothed in the shame of what has happened to us and the things that we've done. Shame causes us to hide. It causes us to look back. Shame made Israel long for Egypt. It made them wanna go back. It kept them from the fullness of their calling and their destiny. You see, some of us wanna go back to Egypt, don't we? We want our former lives because they're familiar. We wanna choose what's small and and fearful because it's all we've known. We wanna remain behind all our defenses because we didn't do vulnerability in my family. We wanna stay lukewarm. We wanna kind of be a maybe. When God's calling us to radical obedience, we'll say, I'll do that on Sundays. I'm gonna kinda of be part here, but I still want the things of my former life. I still want what's familiar. You see, we can't have part God and you can't have part Egypt. You can't bargain with Egypt. You can't negotiate with Pharaoh. Well, I'm gonna give part of my life here, part of my life to God. Part in slavery, part free. We're either in the promised land or we're back in Egypt. And some of us have convinced ourselves that we can bargain with Egypt. That we can hold on to that one thing. That one addiction, that one temptation, that one relationship. That one thing because it feels so good. It feels so familiar. You can't bargain with Egypt. You can't negotiate with Pharaoh. Some of us are attached to the pleasures of Egypt. Egypt. There was no faith needed in Egypt. They were slaves. They knew exactly what was expected of them. Their expectations were small. They checked it off, they were done. There was no risk. There was no faith. There was no Jordan to cross in Egypt. There's no fear of failure in Egypt because they never tried anything new. Some of us, deep, deep down, if we're honest, we're more comfortable with that kind of life. We don't want to face failure. We don't want to face having to step into the unknown, the risk that it all might fall apart and we don't know what's going to happen. We prefer the lifestyle of Egypt. Keep me small, keep me safe, keep me comfortable, keep me within these limits because I know what to expect. And all the time God's saying, no, that's Egypt, that's slavery, come into the promised land, walk in the fullness of empowered by the spirit, but you're going to have to leave behind the safety and the comforts of slavery. There's no war in Egypt. They had no enemy to face. Part of us loves those small walls. You see, we wanna keep functioning with the same broken behaviors. The same behaviors that get us through pain and conflict and struggle, the things we do, the self-protection, the tearing others down, the self-hatred, the walls that says, I don't need anyone. The unwillingness to cry, the unwillingness to let people in, the aggression, the withdrawal, the running away, whatever it is that works for us in Egypt, we want to keep those lifestyles and we want to transplant them into the promised land, but you can't bring Egypt with you. You can't bring all the strategies and behaviors that you've tried. God's doing something new, He's got something better for you. Some of us are terrified of who we'll be when we leave Egypt. What will will I be without all the restraints and the limitations? I'm terrified. What if God fails? What if I try to leave Egypt and I, I face the Jordan? What if God doesn't come through? What does it mean to live free? to live a life of risk and faith. We see, we built our lives around limitations. And this morning, God is shaking our limitations and he's shaking our Egypt and he's saying, I've got more for you. Do you see the promised land? Sure, there's giants there. Sure, there's battles ahead, but you know what? I am with you and I have been faithful here and here and here. You can trust me, you can come with me. God is calling us to leave Egypt behind. Some of you this morning, even right now, you're feeling a conviction, you know that one Little thing that you're holding on to, that one little thing that has so much power in your life and it's terrifying to leave it behind. But it's so much better in the promised land. You see, some of us are still pointing back to that one time we stepped out in faith. Well remember God ten years ago when I took that risk, like has me done for a lifetime. And you know what, we laugh about it, but you know what, we've all probably been there, right? Well, last year, God, like there was that thing last year, like I sacrificed that relationship or I gave up that addiction or that whatever it was, I left it behind because I knew it wasn't right. Like surely you can't be asking me to get kind of crazy radical like this year as well. Like that was just last year. Here's the thing, guys, Jesus is crazy radical every day of the year, right? Jesus is crazy, radical, promised land every day of the year. He doesn't want you in Egypt. He wants you free. So we can't bargain. This is what I'm talking about. We bargain with God. We're trying to bargain with Egypt. Well, I I did that last year. Like I could just keep this little piece right. God's like, no, I want all of you. I want all of you. You see, that's what the circumcision was about. We're all in. We are remembering in thought and in action. We are committed to this thing. See, God will confront our shame for the sole purpose of removing it. God is not bringing something up in your life to say, oh, look at that. You need to, yeah, gosh, you should be ashamed of yourself. Look at what you did back then. Look at the person that you were. Look at the choices you made. Look at what happened to you. Jeez. He's not shaking our heads and just bringing stuff up for the fun of it. God only brings this stuff up. He only confronts our shame for the purpose of removing it so that we can be free and we can be healed. You see, some of us are still dwelling on our past and we're just clothed with shame and we've been carrying it for so long. And you know what shame does? It says, don't remember, forget, forget. And then God says, no, remember. Remember because I'm faithful in setting you free. I'm faithful in showing up. I'm faithful in restoring you. You know, this whole thing of God saying, I'm rolling away their reproach. I'm taking away their shame. It reminds me of something. It's language that reminds me of Genesis 2. And it's that whole idea of Adam and Eve walking in the garden naked and unashamed. And we see in that image, God's plan, God's desire was that we would be unashamed. Unashamed in his presence, that we would have intimacy with him. And then we see this this theme throughout scripture. If you read through Isaiah and through different books of the Bible, you see this idea of God saying, you will not be put to shame. I will remove your shame. I'm going to bless you. And then we see a man that came in order to restore shalom, in order to restore us from the garden. And he took on our shame. And he took on all the scorn. And he took our place. And his name is Jesus. And he did that so that he could permanently roll away our shame. We are not slaves anymore. We are heirs to the promised land. And there is only one person that has made that possible. Luke 22, verse 14. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostle was reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a beautiful thing to remember what Jesus did. We have, um, as we begin to close this morning, we have communion set up. This morning, I would like to suggest that communion is an invitation to remember. It's an invitation to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. It's an invitation to remember Jesus' death and resurrection it's an invitation to remember in thought and action you see it's too easy to come up here and dip in the juice and say thank you Jesus and walk away it's too easy that's not remembering when Jesus says do this in remembrance of me he's saying do it in thought and do it in action remember what I've done for you and now remember who you are and be different live different This morning, communion is an invitation to allow God to roll away your shame, to recommit your lives to Jesus, to end your attachment to Egypt. Some of us this morning know that we need to come and take communion, get on our knees and just say, Jesus, I want to end this thing. I want to end this attachment to Egypt. I want to end this attachment to the comfortable, small life that I've been living that's felt so comfortable and there's been this part of me that for so long has wanted to get out and I didn't know how. And it starts this morning when we get on our knees and say, Jesus, I'm ending it. I'm ending this addiction to being small and fearful. I want the promised land. I want the Jordan. I want to get in the river even though the water's still flowing and I'm going to trust you, God, to show up on my behalf. Maybe some of you today need to grab someone and have someone pray with you, to agree with you, to remember God's faithfulness. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel the shame of your life and the stuff that's happened to you and the choices you've made. And I just want to encourage you this morning that the God that we love, he's the Jesus that says, I want to take away your shame I want to push it back and roll it away so that you could be free and whole and restored. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're the God that that wants to come and confront our shame for the sole purpose of removing it, Lord. Your desire is to heal us and restore us. And your desire is to see us free. And Lord, you are calling us out into the unknown. God, you are calling us out into what we cannot see. And you're, acting, you're asking us to act as if it's real before we even see it. Lord, you're asking us to step out in faith. Father, I pray for people here this morning who are feeling like there's, there's that, that attachment to Egypt, that attachment to the comfortable life, the attachment to just playing it safe, the pleasures of what Egypt can provide. Lord, this morning I pray that you would shift our hearts, that we would long for you more than we long for Egypt, that we would hunger after you more than we would hunger after the things of Egypt, God. Lord, I just ask right now that you would drop it in our hearts, Lord. Would you speak to us if there is a place that we've been holding on to our former life, whether that be sin or whether that be a belief system about ourselves and what's possible, whether that be what we believe about you. Would you just drop it in our hearts right now, Lord, in Jesus' name. just see a, a picture of the Lord like just coming individually to us this morning. And it's almost like some of us have like a shroud that we're kind of covered over and the Lord's just lifting it off. I feel like the Lord wants to just remind you this morning or tell you this morning that you have no idea who you are, that you, you think this is just, this is it. It's like, you know, you can get to the Jordan and you could see the promised land on the other side. Look, I can see it. That's so cool. I can see it. And the Lord's like, I don't want you to just see it. I want you to actually enter into it. This morning, the Lord's asking us to enter into the fullness of who we are through what he did for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, we Just in awe of you this morning, God, that you were, Jesus, that you're the one that would get up on a cross to take our shame and our sin and all the scorn and the humiliation that was meant for us, God. You stood in our place and you took it. God, no one else has done that. There's no other savior that's done that. We love you, Jesus. Would you rock our hearts this morning to embrace you in a deeper way, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.